go ahead and pray here as we begin. Lord, we are thankful for the day you have given to us, this day to worship as your people and to rest. Thank you for the uh, beautiful sunshine and even the frost this morning. Uh, thank you for the, the beauties of your creation. And as we um, uh, conclude our study here today on uh, the timing of your creation and the fact that you have created and not not just evolved or something. We, um, we pray that uh, our time together has been informative and helpful, strengthening our faith and uh, even our abilities to, uh, to talk with others uh, about these issues. And uh, Lord, we pray for your help today and uh, the things we discuss, and uh, we pray that you be honored and glorified in it. In Christ's name. week, we started really with the final point that I wanted to address together here on these matters, and that has to do with the fossil record. And so as you see here on the board, the, the questions of how do you get something from nothing in order, from non-order, and life from non-life, we've addressed those and how people have answered them in a way that is contrary to the scriptures. And so the atheistic or naturalistic evolution, the deistic evolution, and theistic evolution models uh, that, that people uh, have given to try to answer some of these questions. But all of them um, have to deal with number four. What does the fossil record say? Again, we're just focusing on the evidence. I, I've tried to show you that from the scripture, that evolution is clearly proven to be wrong from what the scripture says. But... But even if, as it were, you play on their ball field with their, their equipment, um, it, it just doesn't work. And so, uh, logically, it doesn't work, and evidentially, it doesn't work. And so, <clears throat> last time began this question of the evidence, and where is it, um, and, and what does it say? And the first uh, point I made simply was that Darwin himself recognized that the fossil record is incomplete. And uh, he said that roughly 100 years should be enough evidence to either prove or disprove uh, what he was uh, postulating. And now that we're 150 years later, um, what does it say? And um, uh, the fossil record clearly shows that animals come and go. And, uh, and yet, as you see my two little... Uh, diagram things there at the bottom, evolutionists say the one on your left is what we see. We see transitional um, uh, animals or fossils, these kind of things that will go from one species to another. And so they point to uh, Lucy or Neanderthal man or the Celopanthers, you know, whatever it is. Now point to these things as, as some kind of transitional figure. But, um, first of all, um, there are not multiple fossils that show this. And secondly, um, every one of them has been shown to be um, highly suspect, if not uh, clearly proven. Interestingly, evolutionists, if they're honest, will even admit this. And so, uh, because of this problem, and the one on the right, this is basically what the fossil record shows. It shows an animal coming and disappearing and so forth in the fossil record. And of course, we explain this through the flood primarily 
but even since the flood, animals have come and gone, and obviously today we have uh, the government trying to save some kind of species that's about extinct um, and, and such. But uh, some people will respond to this problem by coming up with a new theory. Instead of turning to the Lord, instead of turning to what the Scripture says, they'll come up with something else. And the position that I started talking about last time is, I think you could say, the uh, now accepted position among evolutionists to answer the, the, these problems. And that is one uh, by a man named Stephen Jay Gould. Uh, he's the one who uh, made it popular and so forth. And he addresses, you see the two words under his name there, stasis and sudden appearance. And uh, he came up with this theory called punctuated equilibrium. Big fancy term, sounds scientific and intelligent, doesn't it? And uh, the other terms you see with it are rapid mutational advance or uh, um, uh, rapid speciation and so on and so forth. So, you know, a variety of terms that go with it, and they all sound real technical and impressive. Um, and uh, basically, he's trying to address this problem of the fossil record. And so, let me, I started reading some of this, let me read a little bit of it again, and then continue uh, for where I left off last time. And uh, uh, first, some summary and then some quotation. Gould admits that there are two features within the fossil record that are inconsistent with gradualism. This idea that things just gradually change over time, millions and billions of years, and so forth. The first is stasis, that is, most species have no directional change. They appear in the fossil record looking pretty much the same as when they disappear. So there is no evidence in the fossil record of one species transitioning into another. So he admits the problem is there. And um, uh, it says also, the second feature Gould cites is sudden appearance. A, pe a species appears fully formed. In other words, you don't see any transition. Uh, from this cow that all of a sudden evolved flippers and ended up swimming in the ocean or something to that effect. You don't see any transitional things at all. Again, he's admitting this. And so it says, this means there are gaps within the fossil record. That is, no connecting species from one to the next. But Gould and others explain these ambiguities with what is called punctuated equilibrium or rapid mutational advance. <clears throat> this is the idea that the formation of new species occurs rapidly. Members of a certain species become separated from the central population and exist in conditions that are favorable for mutational advance. Because they are a small part of the central population, they do not appear in the fossil record. Okay, so let's just go with my uh, cow connection here a moment. <clears throat> uh, you, you know, we still have... A variety of cows, and they, they are uh, around today like they were however many millions of years ago. But a certain category of them, a certain group of them, decided to go to Jamaica or wherever, and, and they just hold up there, sunning themselves, and liked the water so much they eventually had uh, developed flippers and started to swim in the water and uh, became whales eventually. But because it was such a small group, say uh, 50 or 100 of them, or maybe even 1,000 of them, uh, they don't show up in the fossil record because there are so few of them. 
And so, um, and I say, we can't prove this, but this must be what happened because you know, evolution has to be true. And so it must have happened off in the corner somewhere that nobody can prove and nobody can see and nobody can do anything about it, but it must have happened and this is where all of a sudden you see a brand new creature in the fossil record. And so, <clears throat> I know I'm characterizing it here a bit, uh, but this is basically what they're saying. And um, I hope you see the uh, unscientific approach to this. But this is, I think I could say, the ex uh, uh, accepted explanation in the scientific community today. You, you do have a variety of other things, but this is the one that has basically taken root and uh, accepted by most uh, all evolutionists. Now, <coughs> As I said, this theory has no evidence to support it. It also fails to remember that mutations are mutations. They're bad. And so it's going to lead a small group of animals toward ex extinction, not progress along the evolutionary chain. What do you do with that, that cow that's starting to develop a flipper and it can't swim yet or walk on the land anymore? How's it going to survive? Now, if you follow this theory, you might say, well, you know, if you have enough of them, then some of them is going to eventually survive. But they don't say that. There's just a few of them. And so uh, it's not going to survive. And maybe you've heard the idea that if we had a nuclear holocaust, uh, about the only thing that is going to survive are roaches. And part of it is because there are so many of them. And, and, but that's the point. You need a huge population to survive uh, any kind of mutations, any kind of change, because they're bad. Now, I, I notice I'm assuming that even maybe some of them might be good, but uh, I don't think we've had that proven. But uh, they, of course, would say uh, that that is the case. Now, we might talk about so-called good mutations in the sense of a variation. Um, you think of... Um, dark-skinned people who live in sunny climates, or barrel-chested people with large lungs who live in the mountains. But those are variations. Those aren't mutations. And so, again, you're, you're taking this idea of a variation with a species and expanding it to include mutations. And that's what the evolutionists will claim. Um, again, we don't have any problem with variations. It's just going the next step to say somehow mutation is good. Uh, and then you have to place them on top of each other. This half-leg, half-flipper cow has to then have children that not only has that, but has more of a flipper and less of a leg. And then the next generation has to have even more of a flipper and less of a leg. And you've got to keep building on it. It's just preposterous. Um, what animal is going to survive that? That just doesn't happen. Um, even if you want to think about this mathematically, the, the simple probability of this occurring is so incredibly small that you might as well not even think about it. I mean, it's, you know, one times ten to the, uh, the number is, you know, I think it's a trillion numbers, the power. <laughs> uh, that's how small of a chance this could be, just, just in terms of probability. And so, again, it's going to require a huge population, not a small one.
again, even if you're going to grant some kind of good mutation. So um, here's what Philip uh, Johnson said. Some of you are familiar with him. He, I remember him uh, coming to Grove City College when I was a student. And, of course, his book, Darwin on Trial, is probably the most familiar book um, to people. And uh, he makes these couple comments. If Darwinism is a scientific hypothesis which can be confirmed or falsified by fossil evidence, then the really important thing about the punctualism controversy is not the solution Gould and others proposed, but the problem to which they drew attention. In other words, their theory shows they have a big problem. <laughs> and their theory doesn't make any sense. It's just improbable. Johnson also says, the important question is not whether rapid speciation in peripheral isolates has occurred. In other words, this rapid fundational advance in this you know, group of cows down in Jamaica or wherever. Um, <clears throat> that's not the important question. But whether this mechanism can explain more than a relatively narrow range of modifications which cross the species boundary, but do not involve major changes in bodily characteristics. All that is to say, <clears throat> they have no proof. And their theory demonstrates that. So, uh, I don't know if any of you have run into people who will talk about this punctualism, um, and, but it, at least in my experience, my, what I've heard, what I've read and, and seen and, and so forth, uh, this is uh, basically the accepted theory now, but uh, there's nothing to it. And, uh, and Phil Johnson helps point that out, as have many others. So... Um, just to call your attention to this briefly, this is how they're answering question four now, basically. And uh, they recognize the problem, but come up with another problem <laughs> in trying to answer it. All right. <laughs> Questions here on this? Last week, I think scientists in general, if you poll them, are less likely to believe in evolution than the general population. I remember uh, Hugh Ross making that point. That was 20 years ago when I was 
reading and listening to him. Soon the numbers are <coughs> even more now, but little, little I've heard about it. All right, <coughs> other comments or questions? Obviously, my purpose is not to get into the evidence, but to talk about it uh, as a concept, logically and biblically. And uh, logically and biblically, and the little bit of evidence that I've mentioned here, uh, it just doesn't make any sense. There's just, evolution is, is a fairy tale. Uh, I remember Katie Frady's, when we started talking about these things, we would normally think of uh, fairy tale time, as she put it. <laughs> and, and yet, we go into the classroom, and remember she said, check the brain at the door, and we just accept it as, as if this is true, in fact, and it's science. Uh, it's completely unscientific in its ultimate uh, position. All right. Well, the, the last thing I want us to address here together um, has to do with, uh, you might say, where I started. And that is that evolution is a religion. It is a faith system. Just as much as ours is. Uh, every religion has a creation story of some kind. Uh, it may be God spoke out of nothing. And, and, and like we believe, it may be the Big Bang and evolution and so forth. But everybody's got a, a creation uh, story of, uh, in one way or another. And uh, uh, evolution is, is just as much this way as, as we have. And so... <clears throat> point I want to address here as we conclude this, this topic is we obviously live in a culture here in America, and I would think we can say even the West in general, that has evolution as its religion. This, this is, you know, everywhere you go, turn on the TV, open your magazines, and go to your movies and so forth, and, and, and evolution in one way or another is either assumed or directly stated. And this idea of uh, at least a practical atheism or a deism is just assumed um, all over the place. And so, <clears throat> since God has no say in our lives, then uh, basically um, anything goes, right? And evolution has provided a justification for people to, to do whatever they want. If we've just evolved from some random chance, uh, uh, chaotic kind of thing, then why can't I do what I want? How many times have we heard the crazy studies that show, uh, I remember one about uh, <laughs> gang rape among the ducks, and since they do it, it's okay for us to do it, is the implication. Um, or since a certain animal is polygamous, it's okay for us to be polygamous. Sleep around, even if you're not married to many people. And so you, you often hear this idea of a social Darwinism, that you take the, the evidence in the created world, and looking at the animals and so forth, and this gives us justification to act the same way. And those who are more uh, highly developed, 
who are stronger, who are more fit, we can rise above everybody else and either eliminate everybody else or at least get them to serve us and do whatever we want them to do. And so this mentality basically um, gives a justification for believing and acting uh, in whatever way you want to do. Now, people have done it, you know, since the fall of Adam. Uh, but we always have some kind of justification. And the justification that we have today is evolution. And again, you hear it uh, repeatedly uh, if you, you know, take time to listen for it. The Institute for Creation Research has uh, emphasized this point very extensively in their writings and uh, uh, videos and so forth. And you remember even Katie Frady's made some uh, points in this way toward the beginning of her video. And you remember the, the picture she gave of the foundation of the Word of God, and then you build upon that, or the foundation of the mind of man, and you build upon that. And uh, basically talking about building on uh, uh, rock or building on sand. And uh, the Institute for Creation, Creation Research, for example... Um, we'll, we'll talk about belief systems and actions that uh, evolution permits people to justify. Again, people are going to do it with whatever they want to justify with. But today, again, the last 150 years, this is um, how it's so often done and, and even stated directly. So <laughs> religions and philosophies um, such as atheism or agnosticism are certainly justified because of evolution. I mean, 200 years ago, before the theory of evolution, if you said you were an atheist, people would look at you like, well, how did we get here then? Well, now people would say, well, there was a big bang and everything evolved, and, and so you know, I'm justified in being an atheist or an agnostic or whatever it happens to be. Um, it continues. Uh, those who are relativists or pluralists uh, will point to these things. Pantheists, materialists, racists, um, scien uh, the, the religion of scientism obviously has a huge um, justification because evolution explains everything. Um, uh, other things such as communism or socialism or fascism or Nazism, imperialism, monopolism, humanism, so on and so forth. All these things find um, a very nice justification in the theory of evolution. Again, they're going to justify it with whatever because they don't want to believe in God. But this gives a very nice, in their mindset, a nice, neat, clean uh, excuse to ignore God. So, <clears throat> let's just, uh, I mentioned atheism, let me pick one of these others here. Let's say, for example, socialism or communism, or as maybe more commonly called in our culture today, uh, liberalism or progressivism or, or something like that. Um, uh, this is the idea of the collective good. Okay? Doing whatever is necessary for the common good, for, for um, um, the, um, uh, the government basically to step in and order everything in society so it can be good for everyone, so we're told. And uh, yet in the process, the individual is ignored. The group is the important thing. And so, as long as we're helping the poor, it doesn't matter if this person over here gets stomped on. And again, evolution is a justification. 
Survival of the fittest, right? The fittest are saying, this is how we're going to do everything, and we're going to help most people, and it's okay if a few people get uh, swallowed up and eaten up. Because that's just what happens in nature, right? And so, you know, whether you go to China or Russia or even America, this mentality finds a justification in evolution. Now, I... I've made this uh, point at different times. You remember uh, when the whole Obamacare thing was being uh, talked about and prior to its passing, you remember Nancy Pelosi getting up there and she in essence said, we're more highly evolved than you. We will read it. You trust us. Just pass it. And we'll tell you about it later. And it's just the whole mentality that we know better. We are the stronger. We are the more intelligent. And, you know, you are just more inferior, so, you know, just just, just listen to what we say. We're out there to do what is good for you. And I remember get, her getting up there talking about the word, John 1. I thought it was just uh, a mockery. And she had no idea what she was talking about. But anyway. Um, but, but again, you see how evolution gives them a justification to do what they do. If we didn't have a theory of evolution, they'd pick something else. But that's, this is the one that we have now. Now, practices. Now, certainly, communism, socialism are, are, are practices, not just uh, belief systems. But um, the Institute for Creation Research also lists how a variety of practices find a nice justification in evolution, such as abortion, euthanasia, promiscuity, pornography, genocide, Chauvinism, bestiality, homosexuality, child abuse, molestation, masturbation, drug abuse, slavery, a do-what-feels-right attitude, adultery, and many more. Now again, people are going to justify it for any and every reason if they want to do it. But uh, pick, for example, abortion. You notice how the argument shifted, what? It's been 20, 25 years ago from the question of life to now the issue of choice. And it used to be a debate over life. Is this a viable life? Well, they realized that if they really believe in evolution, that they have to admit that a fetus, even as soon as the cells split, has to be considered life, if they're going to be consistent with their position. So they've changed the argument, and now it's all about choice. But, again, note the pattern. The mother is the stronger, and she can decide what to do with the inferior this mass of cells growing within her. Evolution gives that uh, justification. For, you know, we can even go into the animal world and we can watch some uh, mothers kill their babies. So if they can do it, then we should have every right to do it. Certainly we can see that with uh, issues of uh, euthanasia uh, as well. These older people are such a drain on us in society. And though Obamacare said that they're going to care for everybody, um, money only goes so far. And uh, if that person uh, is going to die in a few months anyway, so you know why bother taking care of it? And it's okay, because right, survival of the fittest. So again, on and on and on we can go, and talking about how. The scientific ideas of evolution carry over socially and really affect most everything 
that we stand for in our culture uh, in terms of the sinful things. The good things have a biblical foundation that still uh, continues, but um, uh, you know, I, I hope the point is pretty clear for us. <clears throat> the point I want to emphasize here is as Christians, we so often battle the issues and we don't battle at the foundation. If, if I could uh, get enough people to uh, band together and we, in fact, could reverse Roe v. Wade, that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But if we don't change the worldview in our culture, it's just going to come back. You know, it, it may be in a, 10 years, maybe in a generation, but if we don't change the mentality of an evolutionary worldview, then it may help for a period of time, and that would be good, but it's not going to last very long. It is important to address the issues, but it's more important for us to address the worldview. And, and we must... Uh, witness to people, I go back to what Sean did here uh, you know, a few months ago in talking about apologetics um, we need to address the presuppositions that people hold and, um, and, and, and bring the scriptures to bear on these things and if we can change the mindset like Paul did in Ephesus then people are just going to throw all their idols on a burn pot Okay? If Paul went in with a petition to Ephesus and said, we've got to get rid of all the idols and the bad books, eh, they'd just bring it all back. But the fact that he dealt with it by changing the mindset, then the actions change, the beliefs change. And I, I, I think the religious right tends to forget this point. And we focus on issues rather than worldviews. And again, we've got to address the issues, but it, it's got to be a more fundamental, um, can I say, battle and debate. And, uh, um, and, and so I want to encourage us in this way. Yes, you know, go put your crosses up. <laughs> That's good. But um, uh, it, it, it's going to have to be more than that for it to truly change. And uh, may God help us in it. Um, and so let's try to bring down the religion of evolution and not just the, if you will, children that have been born or at least justified uh, by the religion of evolution. Um, you remember King Josiah. <coughs> remember all the changes that he did and cleaning up the temple and reinstituting the law and the Passover and you know, all these wonderful things. And he went up and, and he got rid of all the high places. Even in the northern kingdom he went to do those things even though Assyria had taken them away. Um, <clears throat> but as soon as he died it all went back to the way it was. Now that's not just simply Josiah's fault. <laughs> but I, I think it shows to us that the heart of the Israelite fundamentally was not changed. The actions were changed, but not, not what was go going on within. And so, 
I want to encourage us, especially with our children, and for those of us here at church, uh, the friends that we have, uh, the influences we have, whether it's at work or school or whatever, um, let's witness to the truth of creation, of God making us in His image. And, um, you know, certainly on this issue of evolution, you know, that's the fundamental point. And if we can uh, witness in this way, then maybe um, the culture will change and people won't want uh, Obamacare and abortion and uh, so on and so forth. Um, and so, anyway, uh, just something I wanted us to, to chew on here a little bit as we conclude our study, especially here in regard to creation versus evolution. And... Uh, it's not going to happen overnight. It took many years to get where we are today. It took many years even just to get to Roe v. Wade. And we're how many years past that? And there's a lot of work to be done. And it's not just getting a law passed. It's getting a heart changed um, in our culture to, to really get it to change. Um, so, anyway, just a, a few thoughts here. Any comments or questions that you have? Yes, Dave. I didn't get my hand up quick enough before when we were talking about the fossil record. Mm -hmm. yes. is, uh, I want to say a second thing, but I just want to touch on this briefly. And you probably have already said this, but something that's quite blatant for me and others is the fossil record, of course, points to catastrophism. Yeah. Uh, this happened quickly. Yeah. Right? Because gradualism, there's no Right. We see a, a deer carcass along the road or a possum or whatever, and over time, you know, if you drive back and forth, if you look at the next day or a week or day, whatever, you know, it's gone gray. It's pretty much gone, right? Mm -hmm. You don't get fossils preserved intact for a fish with another fish in its mouth. You know, did that happen? Did he choke and then they laid there and they didn't disintegrate, you know, over thousands, millions of years? I mean, it seems quite blatant that it's catastrophism. And the flood, it, it fits. And I, <coughs> I don't know, that doesn't seem like rocket science to me. No. That, that comment. Yeah. And, and because of that, they, you know, not only um, have come up with this theory, but then they'll talk about, you know, some meteorite hitting the earth and destroying the, the dinosaurs or, you know, whatever. They, they'll point to a catastrophe. Um, so they agree in principle. Obviously, they explain it differently. Um, but uh, yeah, absolutely. We, uh, how many uh, animals have we seen alongside of the road here the last few weeks? <laughs> Probably none of them would be a fossil. And uh, it only happens uh, in very unique situations. And, uh, and certainly the flood provides that. You said you were going to say something else. Yeah, I'll try not to monopolize. My wife will probably A concern I have, and I think I've voiced it before, is uh, the Christian compromise views. And I'm not sure what to do about that. I have good friends. And uh, people we all know and love. 
saved versus unsaved, or as fundamental as Jesus being God and man and dying and giving things for his sins and his resurrection and God affirming that. But I don't think it's that important. One religion professor said to me well, many years ago when I just brought this up, he said, Oh, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. In other words, you know, not important. Well, I think it is important. The authority of the Word of God. But is that a concern of yours? The Christian account might be using what should we do? Do you have some suggestions? Well, I guess I'd go back to uh, what Sean was talking to us about, too. You know, apologetics is not just for Christians with non-Christians, but even amongst ourselves. Um, you know, we can use some of the same principles and patterns of uh, trying to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Um, I, <coughs> um, I think it does impinge on our view of, of salvation. Um, you know, I, I've said before that People who claim that uh, the uh, uh, sign of the covenant is not essential, um, whether you believe in believer's baptism or infant baptism, it doesn't matter. It's, it's a secondary issue. And I've tried to say, well, but the sign of the covenant points us to the reality of the covenant. How is that non-essential? Um, I would say something similar here in regard uh, to the issue of uh, certainly creation versus evolution, I think that's a no-brainer. But even even the age of the earth question, I think it's, it's uh, one, an issue of authority of God's word. I, I, don't, I don't know how you can read Genesis 1 um, honestly and come up with an old earth. I, I, I don't think the text permits us to do it. And, and so because of that, if you believe differently... Now you're questioning the veracity of Scripture. And that affects everything. In addition to that, how do you deal with death before the fall? That fundamentally strikes at the work of Christ. Um, Nathaniel was reading this book on, uh, let's see, what's it called, Nailene? Um, Old Earth Creationism on Trial. So it uses the terminology of Darwin on trial from Philip Johnson, but it's older creationism on trial. And, um, and he's been working his way through it. And he was commenting the other day that he was reading the portion about the flood and the ark. And uh, I thought it was very um, insightful. And that is, if we believe in a local flood, then what was the purpose of the ark? If we believe in a local flood, then what is the purpose of the antitype to which the ark pointed? In other words, what's the purpose of Christ? If the ark points us to Christ, the ark was the only way of salvation in the flood, then why is Christ the only way of salvation to get to heaven? So... Um, I guess you could say I'm, I do sleep pretty well, <laughs> but I would lose sleep over these issues because I think there is a fundamental um, connection 
amongst them all. Now, does that mean that someone who believes in an old earth is not going to heaven? No, not necessarily. But I think they're going to heaven in spite of themselves, not because of what they believe. Um, I'd say the same thing about Catholicism is fundamentally wrong. That doesn't mean there aren't going to be some Catholics in heaven. But that's in spite of themselves, it's by God's grace. Um, but that doesn't give us any um, justification to not worry about it. We need to honor God in what we believe, not just how we live. And uh, I don't know if that helps answer your question. Do I look for opportunities and try to be winsome and not? Sure. Know, I can get passionate, but yeah. try to be winsome and try to. <laughs> yeah, and, and as you know, at the college, this is kind of a. Uh, um, um, how should you say an issue you're not supposed to address uh, at least right now <laughs> well you have to if you're going to bring up an issue you have to be so winsome and so non-confrontational that's the issue it's not the rightness or wrongness of what you're saying you've got to be so mamby-pamby about it it seems like and so that's what's important any word that's slightly hostile. I guess somebody should have told Jesus that. <laughs> now, don't be confrontational, Jesus. Oh, that's yeah. not politically correct. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's no question that uh, some young earth people have been quite belligerent about it and it's turned people off. And that's not my desire either. Though. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but um, I, I think it has every every reason for us to be concerned about believing rightly here because of the impact it has either directly or indirectly on the finished work of Christ. Um, so that's one reason why I'm talking about it here. <laughs> yes, Ken. I, I think that you've got to keep in mind I mean, from, from what, where I see things. I've been given a gift in, in, in understanding this and I don't have it all. None of us do in this room, even the Reformed faith. But there has to be a starting point, and there has to be grace given to others and, and allowing them. I think that if you go out, and I've been accused of this in the past, hitting somebody over the head with the Bible and saying, Why aren't you believing in this? You want that. But the subtleness on the other side is it's like, I don't know if any of you have seen the movie God is Not Dead, but it, it's, it's, it's a good starting point. Can, can you go through that and find things that are flawed in it? Absolutely. But I've gone to see it twice now. I've taken my nephews there, and the thing's been packed both times with young kids. And the subtleness on the other side is that one of the previews for the movie are the uh, lemurs of Madagascar, and this log floating across the ocean with these two lemurs on it, getting to this island, and how they've evolved into what they are today. And it's like, they don't care where you start from in that belief system. They're going to capture you anywhere. And I think that's what we have to take, is to adapt that to that I can't make anybody in this room believe anything unless God will happen. But if he gives me the opportunity to present myself, I do that with as much grace and, and, and mercy as possible and, and have the courage to do that. Sure. Well, and again, it reminds me of some of the things we talked about in Sean's apologetics class you know we one step at a time first Peter you know with grace and, and uh, humility and, and 
and so forth. Yep.